Well, it's, it's weird to say it's a joy, but it is kind of a joy. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's been interesting to preach on struggles and, and approach uh, the things that we've been talking about through, through what Scripture has to say about just everyday things that we deal with and struggle with. And so we're going to continue that today. And your text is Mark chapter 9. And uh, I think we'll be talking about something that probably everyone at some point has dealt with or wondered about, uh, about our, our faith when it's not what we feel like it should be, when it's weak, when our faith is weak. When I uh, walk in the door, one of the things I think about in faith is just how much faith my kids put in me. And uh, When I walk in the door, both my kids, if they're home before I do, will come running toward me in, in a typical fashion like kids do for their dad, and they will... Uh, if possible, if there's any way for them to jump off of something, they will fly through the air toward me and, and grab onto me. And it's not too bad if Luke is doing that. Uh, he doesn't weigh a lot, and I can grab him even with one arm. Uh, but Emily is seven years old now, and so she uh, gets all 60-plus pounds of herself flying at her dad from the back of the sofa. And she doesn't realize what a jarring sort of experience it is for me to, to grab her. But she still does that. And uh, they have this faith. It's just amazing to me. They, they have this faith that their dad is just going to catch them. And it doesn't even occur to them that it's possible that I might just fall over. You know, uh, that just doesn't even, they don't even think about that. Now, I imagine if uh, one day I did fall over or one day I dropped one of the kids on their heads... But all of a sudden, the faith that they have in their invincible dad would probably wane just a little bit. Reminds me of my grandfather. I've shared with you about my grandfather who was just probably the toughest guy I'd, I'd ever met and could think of. And the, I, I would pick up Luke and can throw him all through the air. And he would do that kind of stuff to me when I was 10 or 11. And one of my favorite things to do was to hold on to his hands and jump. And I would put my feet onto his chest. And do a backflip. I don't know. You've seen kids do that. He called it skinning the cat. I don't know where he got that name from. That's what we called it. And uh, some of you are saying, yeah. Apparently that's the name. And I remember doing that with him. And, uh, you know, it's, it's bigger, bigger than Emily I, I would be. And we would do that. And I don't know how he did it now when I have kids jumping on me. But this is also the same guy who would take me hunting. And I remember one time he shot a deer. And it was in this field of cactus. And I was... 10 or 11, and he was dragging me through this, this field of cactus at 65, and, and he was saying, come on, man, keep up, you know, and we spent an hour wandering through this field of, of cactus, I guess cacti, plural, and uh, at the end of it all, I just, I remember picking out, you know, we finally found the deer and brought it back and skinned it and everything, and just picking out bits and pieces of, if you've ever been in a field of cacti and got it stuck to you, just picking it out of my clothes Picking out of places on my body, I won't mention, for just several weeks. You know, I think, oh, where'd that come from? And it was, you'd, find a, you'd find a needle in there. And he would just do that kind of stuff. And he was just this old, tough guy. And uh, you know, if, if you remember me sharing, he was, he was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And, and I just remember, because I wasn't with him all the time, it, it was a, took a little bit longer. But to me, it was almost instantaneous. He went from that guy that I knew that was just... Invincible, the guy that made me feel just so safe. You know, you ever had a, an adult like that in your life? Just, he could do anything. He'd take care of anything. 
And he went from that guy to this guy that, you know, had to be pushed around in a wheelchair. This guy that had to be helped in and out of bed. This guy that had to be helped to the bathroom, just like that. And, and I had to change the way. It's not that my faith in him as a person decreased necessarily, but, but my faith in his abilities. The way that I understood him as a person had, had to change. I had to reimagine that. And, and you know, the same happens with adults uh, and their, their parents as they get older. You, you, you see them, and usually it's a gradual, more of a gradual process, isn't it? But you notice as you get older, uh, hey, Dad can't do what he used to be able to do. And your understanding of them decreases just a little bit as they age. And I think that that tendency to sort of lose our faith in, in people and their abilities bleeds over in the way we understand God based on what we see. Yeah, I know the Bible says that I'm not promised an easy life. Most of you know that. Uh, we know that there's no guarantees that just because we're a Christian, everything's going to go okay. But I still have this tendency when things aren't going like I want them to go to look at things and, and somehow think that that reflects God and, and somehow allow my faith to be affected. And I don't think that's just me and I don't think that's just you. I just think that that's people. As long as we're alive, there is this tendency for us to, for our faith to be, to be, to go up, to go down, depending on what we're going through. I mentioned last week one of my favorite authors, uh, Eugene Peterson, passed away. He was 85, and uh, he was suffering from heart disease. He had had dementia, uh, and he had been on hospice, and so he was receiving palliative, palliative, what is it? The care that you, how, how do you say it? How many syllables is it? There you go, palliative. I was missing a, a vowel. Okay. So he was receiving care that was just making him feel good. Okay, feel better. I'll say it in my layman's terms. And uh, he was at that stage to where he was kind of had one foot in eternity and one foot here and with us. And, and supposedly, according to his son, his, one of the last things that he said was, let's go. That's a pretty neat thing to think about. That he, even in that stage, he had this faith that he understood that, hey, when it's time to go, I'm, I'm gone. And, and, and my eternity is affected not by myself, but by God. And I wonder if there, for folks like that, there's this tipping point, you know, when, when things, when you realize, hey, things aren't looking like I want them to look. And, and my faith has not been very strong. Maybe, maybe my faith is in the wrong thing. When, when we realize that our faith shouldn't rest on temporary things. Because when you get to that stage in life and, and you're on hospice and, and you, you really aren't doing anything for yourself, there, there's not much to have faith in that is tangible other than God. I read this, this story about Corey Tinboom, if you know who that is. She, was, she and her sister uh, were in a concentration camp. And uh, they were in this concentration camp and it was overcrowded and it was flea infested. And miraculously, they'd been able to smuggle in it within their little barracks with, with it was all women. They were able to smuggle in one Bible. And uh, one of the things that they read in that Bible, Corey and her sister, uh, Betsy was her name. One of the things they read was how they were supposed to be thankful to God in all circumstances. And how God could make that, that, that verse in, in Romans, everything works together for good, right? And, and they'd read that, and they were trying to understand that and believe that. And, 
And Betsy told Corey that she needed to thank God for the fleas in their barracks. And, and she said, first, I, I couldn't do that. That was ludicrous. Why would I thank God for such a thing? But her sister insisted, and so she did. And every night she began thanking God for the fleas in their barracks. And over the next several months, one of the things that they noticed was that the guards quit coming into their barracks. The guards quit coming in. They, they, they weren't there, which, means that they, which meant that they couldn't assault the women like they had been doing. And it also meant that they could do the unthinkable in, in a Nazi concentration camp. And they could hold open Bible studies. And they could pray together. And through their efforts, several women came to know who Jesus was and, and received him as Lord and Savior. And only at the end did they discover that the reason the guards didn't come into the barracks if they quit coming in there was because of all the fleas. Now... Most of, it, most of us admire that kind of faith from afar, don't we? We say, man, that's amazing faith. But most of us don't want to have to have that kind of faith, don't we? Well, we admire that, but we don't want to have to have it. We prefer to have faith in the midst of all the stuff that we still have, in the midst of our comforts, in the midst of our, you know, we don't think we're lux luxurious, but we really do have luxury in the midst of all the things that, that make us feel good. We want to have that faith, but we also want to have the stuff that we have. And in church, we talk a lot about having a strong faith, don't we? We want to have a strong faith. And, and I hope you do. I hope, I hope all of us do it at some point. But today's text in Mark chapter 9 affords us another opportunity to actually talk about weak faith. And I'm going to spend the majority of my time talking about weak faith. So just to let you know, uh, I do have a main point that's going to come at the end. But for a while, we're just going to talk about what this passage says about having faith that is, that is weak. So I'm going to read in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. I invite you to turn there if you haven't, and the text will be on your screen. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teachers, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit. That has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him, into, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit. They could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I, shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the, spirit, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, 
Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. This episode is one of three healing stories in the second part of the Gospel of Mark. In the first part of the Gospel of Mark, there's lots of healing stories. There's lots of miracles. And, and all of them point to Jesus' superiority and power, power and magnificence. And, and, and they're, they're usually really happy miracles. There's three in the second half of the Gospel of Mark. And they take a, a more, I guess you could say, somber tone. Because the focus of them is not Jesus' magnificence or power or superiority. And quite, quite the opposite. The thing you notice in these miracles is the weakness of his disciples. And, and as you look at the narrative, you notice that something is happening among the, the, law, the lawgivers and the teachers and that Jesus' impending death is coming. And, and in the midst of all that, you see this weakness and this lack of faith in these disciples that have witnessed all these other miracles and, the, and really shouldn't be there. So they're struggling. And, and I think in that, I mean, we identify ourselves as Christians, as disciples as well, as, as struggling disciples. When our faith is weak, we look at them, we look at the lawgivers, and we see that, that often when our faith is weak, we're tempted to focus on the faith of others rather than ourselves. Have you noticed that in you? When your faith is not where you should be, it's easy to say, oh man, I wish I could believe like so-and-so. Verse 14 uses the word they, talking about Peter and James and John. They had just come down off this mountain and seen the transfiguration. You remember what that is? When Jesus uh, allowed them to see his divine glory. They'd had this amazing experience with Jesus. And they come down off this mountain. They'd seen Elijah. They'd seen Moses. It was just this, literally, a mountaintop religious experience. Youth, it'd be like, you know, coming home from church camp. You just had this great time and you just experienced God in this wonderful way. And then your boyfriend or girlfriend dumps you. Or, or it'd be like, you'd just gone to a group Bible study, adults, and, and, you know, the topic was relevant and you had friends and they prayed for you and they lifted you up and it was just an encouraging, good time or, or, or a retreat. And then you go home and you know, your tire blows out on the way. You just come from here to here, just like that. When they, it says in verse 14, came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing. Isn't that what you want to walk into after you've had this great experience, an argument? They were arguing because they just, they, they'd seen Jesus' disciples with this boy that they tried to, to heal, to cast this demon out of, and he was unable to do it. They failed and their failure provides us, I think, that there's two examples in this instance of weak faith. And I think the first and most obvious are the disciples. These disciples that have been following Jesus around. These disciples that Jesus himself in Mark chapter 6 commissioned. And he said, I'm sending you out. And I'm personally giving you power to drive out demons and heal people. And, you know, scholars wonder and debate, well, is that just for the disciples or is that just for everybody? Well, even if you take the view that it was just for the disciples, we know that in this moment, it was for them. They received that. Jesus gave that to them and they'd done it. They'd cast out demons before. They'd healed people based on the power that Jesus had given them. And the failure by them shows us that, that even that kind of power sometimes is not enough. 
The second group of weak faith comes in those lawgivers. These lawgivers that were kind of, they were just trolling Jesus. They'd walk around, they'd try to find every little thing they could. Well, this time Jesus is not there. They can't find him. So, so then they go to his disciples. And these, these other nine disciples, these are the people that follow Jesus. They should be people that, you know, if we can catch them in something, that's good too. And, and they, they witness their failure and they pounce on it. Like, like they have anything, any business even butting into this incident, but they do. I think that's what we do sometimes when our faith is not where it should be. We look around and we say, well, so-and-so's got strong, or so-and-so doesn't. I feel better than I'm not that person. Our faith is weak. We're tempted to look at others. And then the difficult things that we face when our faith is weak, sometimes they move from difficult to being impossible. I think it's an extreme understatement to say that these disciples found themselves in a difficult, difficult situation. In fact, when I read that, that this boy starts you know, convulsing and foaming at the mouth, I mean, I, I feel bad for the boy, but I also feel bad for the disciples. This is what they were dealing with in the absence of Jesus. And, and I feel bad for the boy's father who probably taking his little boy. If you've ever had a sick child and you just say, well, I don't know what's wrong with him. I've tried everything. He'd probably taking them to, to priests and having them try to you know, pronounce, make pronouncements over them. He'd, he'd probably pray. He'd probably tried things he shouldn't have. He'd probably gone to you know, magical people and, and, and consorted people that really were outside of his faith and, and should have consulted. He was just willing to try anything. And it's no wonder when we see what happens with the disciples that his faith, in addition to the disciples, is, is weak as well. It's no wonder that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, Jesus, in verse 22, if you can do anything. Can you imagine saying that to God? If you can do anything. Jesus says in verse 23, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes, for the one that believes. Not everything is going to happen. For the one that believes. Not everything will go exactly like you want. But everything is, is possible. It's possible. For the one that believes. And that means that the ideal prayer of, of a person with faith. Is not if you can, will you. But, but since you can. Since you can, won't you? Understanding that the answer might be yes. And it might be no. But the faith of the disciples is, is so weak. They can't even say, Jesus, if you can. They don't even pray before they try and cast out the demon. When our faith is weak, sometimes we just quit praying. Prayer totally ceases. So many of Jesus' miracles, especially in the first part of Mark, are accompanied by these amazing acts of faith by the recipients. Do you remember Jairus? Remember that guy? Uh, this guy that, that approaches Jesus and says, hey, my daughter's sick. And, and if you will just come, and if you'll just touch her, I, I know she'll be healed. He doesn't even, he didn't ask Jesus. He says, if you touch her, I know she'll be healed. Just come touch her, Jesus. And he's on his way to that. And do you remember, remember the lady that approached him that, that had the issue with blood? She was hemorrhaging for 12 years. And her faith was perhaps even greater. She said she knew. It says she knew that if she just, if she just touched his clothes, that she would be healed. She didn't have to ask him. She just, just could touch his clothes. But then this story is very different. Mark goes to great lengths to describe not the faith of another person. And in those stories, I think the faith of the individuals was just as amazing, even maybe even more than the miracles that Jesus performed. But Mark goes to great lengths in this, this story to say, 
Man, there was some really troubled people around this miracle. There was some drama. He talks about the shrieking and the convulsing and the appearance of death in the boy. And immediately following, we have this cold, hard truth when the disciples ask Jesus, how come, how come you could do it? We could. And he says, this kind can only come out by prayer. In other words, you mean Jesus' disciples forgot to pray before they tried to, to heal somebody? That's kind, of, that's kind of a no-brainer, you know? Like, I mean, even the deacons of our church know if we're going to go and pray for someone at the hospital, like, that's what we do, right? If they're sick, we pray. We get that, right? And our deacons aren't always smart. No, they're good. That's a no-brainer. Someone's sick, you pray. Jesus' disciples didn't even do that. And so you might wonder, well, Matt, what chance do I have? If Jesus' disciples, when their faith was weak, when they, if they couldn't even pray, what chance do I have? You have the same chance as this father that approaches Jesus and he lifts up this one weak, almost impotent sounding prayer. But he does pray. From him we learn that it doesn't, and this is your main point, you're, you're already there. It doesn't take a strong prayer, okay? This is your, I have a friend that every sermon he says, this is your take home, and he makes you write it down. If you want to write it down, this is your take home. It doesn't take a strong prayer. To make a usable faith. It doesn't take a strong prayer to make a usable faith. I've never heard someone approach Jesus anywhere else in Scripture or, or in person like, like this guy does. And say to Jesus, God, if you can, if you can, will you heal my little girl with cancer? God, if you can, if you can do anything, will you save my marriage? God, if you can, if you can, will you... Will you take care of my family in the midst of this financial crisis? We don't usually pray that. And certainly we don't pray that out loud in our Bible study groups or in front of the church. Even if that's where our faith is at. Instead, we use a different phrase. We'll say, Lord, if it be your will, will you just do such and such? And, and, and we pray that and, and we say, well, we're, Jesus prayed that prayer. Jesus prayed that prayer to the Father and, and he did. But often we pray that prayer and we don't mean the same thing that Jesus meant when he prayed it. We mean that, God, I don't think you're going to do this. So I'm going to say, if it be your will, just, just to give you a little loophole. Because my faith's already weak and if it doesn't happen, I, I don't know what's going to happen to my faith. If you can, if you can do anything, we're not that honest with God. But the Father's response to Jesus that made the miracle ultimately possible, that Jesus performed this in response to, was based on that kind of honesty. Everything is possible for the one who believes, Jesus said. And this is his response in your next slide. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Or if you have an ESV translation or a King James, just about any other translation than the one I used, it's, it's that very simple, I believe. Help my unbelief. It doesn't take a strong prayer to make a usable faith, but it takes an honest one, doesn't it? The reason the Father could utter such brave words is because, is because he understood that his prayer didn't start with the verses on your screen. His, his prayer to Jesus when he was the lowest didn't start with, I believe, help my unbelief. It started with, Lord, if you can. And Jesus moved him to, I believe, Help my unbelief. 
And, and, I, and I imagine that, that when Jesus healed his son, at the end of the day, he had moved from I believe, help my unbelief, to just I believe. And that's where we want to be, right? That's where we want to be. But before we can be there, we have to start right where we're at with God. And that might be I believe, help my unbelief. It might mean, Lord, if you can. It might even be weaker than that. Lord, I don't know if you can. But it takes an honest prayer. Some of you struggle to do that because you won't, you won't quit comparing your, your faith and your prayer life to somebody else. You, know, you keep looking at other people and thinking, man, I'm not like they are. You know, we pray, we have the Lord's Prayer. And, and some traditions will pray that prayer verbally, out loud in their worship service. But, but they know, we still know that that's a model prayer. That's something that Jesus, when he was asked by his very own disciples, Lord, how do we pray? He didn't say... Well, you pray just this formula to get just this result. He said, these are generally the things you need to be concerned with praying. Because even mimicking Jesus' prayer is, is not this full, it's not, it's not going to guarantee that we don't struggle in our faith. Our faith is shaped. It can't help but be. Our faith can't help but be shaped by our experiences. It's shaped by Scripture. It's shaped by who we know God to be. But it's also shaped by our experiences. Don't you think that that, that father who, who dealt with his son having what, what looks like to us something like epilepsy, you know, that's the best way we can describe it in, in medical terms, for all those years and not knowing what to do, don't you think that shaped his faith? It had to have. One of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning, was a former priest and an alcoholic. Which is why he's the fo a former priest. And, and he passed away several years ago. And, and he just, when you read his writings, you can just tell that he's on this spiritual plane that most people are not. And I would love to have his exact kind of faith, but I don't want to be an alcoholic and I don't want to be a priest necessarily to get it. Stop comparing your faith to others and start exactly where you are at with God. But then don't expect that that honest prayer, don't expect that that honest faith is going to erase all your difficulties. The experience of the boy got worse, didn't it? Before it got better, he rolled on the ground, he convulsed, he foamed at the mouth. And he looked like he was dead. Maybe he was. And we know that Jesus ultimately healed him. But have you ever thought about the physiological implications that he might have faced as a result of that? You know, when people die on the table, they're, they're brought back to life through shock paddles and resuscitation. I mean, things don't necessarily go great for them after that. There's some complications and, and implications for that. Their body has to deal with it. Have you thought about the fact that, that he had this condition for years and probably his parents had just given up and they'd probably spent money and time trying to fix it? And gosh, just what's going to happen now that he doesn't have it? You know, we spent all this time like, is he going to be able to get married and have a normal life? I don't know about you. I don't care if Jesus did get rid of the demon. I don't want Emily marrying the boy that had the demon. Okay, I'm not signing up for that. Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief, okay? We don't expect for prayer to erase all those difficulties in our life, even, even if it's honest. Because if you do, if that's your expectation, and when things don't go your way, you're just you're going to want to quit. I read a story from... From Wanda Basillo, she's a writer, and she tells this story about her friend Linda, who's a first grade teacher. And in her school, the kids go from kindergarten, uh, going a half day, to going to first grade and doing a full day. She tells a story of a little boy named Ryan, and Ryan had 
uh, it, was, it was lunch. It got to where it was lunchtime, and he'd gone to get his, his stuff. And he was actually packing up and getting ready to go because in his old, his old uh, kindergarten, he knew that it was, it was time to go after lunch. And she says, well, what are you doing, Ryan? He goes, well, I'm getting ready to go. I want to have my stuff ready for, for after lunch. And she goes, oh, no, after lunch, you're, you're going to come back to the class. It's, it's different in first grade. You don't go home after lunch. You come back, and you do a little more learning, and then your parents will come pick you up at the end of the day. And he didn't believe her. He looked at her for, for a while, like, just in disbelief. And finally, when he realized she was telling the truth, he just he put his hands on his hips, and he demanded, well, who on earth signed me up for this program? No one signs us up for difficulties. And faith doesn't sign us out of them. And, and Jesus' disciples even struggled to remember this. But if we approach God honestly, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of disappointment, God can use our faith to do some great things. John Wesley is, is quoted as saying that God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. And I don't think he meant by that that God can't do anything apart from our prayers. But what I think he meant was that, that God doesn't do anything in our lives. God doesn't do anything through people, through us, except in response to believing prayer. Because we know he created the world, right? Nobody was, was there to pray for him to do that. But he works in us and through us through that. Prayer, faith, and prayer is sort of this door to allow God to work in our lives. Remember that scripture in Revelation, Revelation 3? I stand at the door and knock. And, and we take that scripture to talk about salvation, but that's not really what it's about. It's actually the people that were already Christians. He's saying, if you just let me in, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll dine with you. I will, I will be involved in your life. That's what that scripture's about. That's what church is about. We come together and, and we recognize that, that if each one of us are striving, even, even if we have a weak faith, if we're striving honestly and we come together, man, we look at one another and when we see God in one another's lives and we're not threatened by that and we're not made to feel bad by that, we're, we should be encouraged and inspired by that. Jill sent me this link to a podcast from, a, from an Orthodox priest. Leave it to Jill to send me the weird stuff. And uh, he's this Eastern Orthodox priest and he's talking about community. And he's talking about this idea that how, the thing that brings us together, we often think as Christians, the things that, that bind us together, if you will, is, is our faith. And he says, to a degree, that's true. But even before faith, it's our weakness. That's the thing that brings us together. Because we know that Scripture says it is by what we're saved. It is by grace that we're saved through faith. The grace was there before the faith was. And he said it's that universal need, that universal weakness that brings us together initially. And so we come together and we sing songs and we read sermons and we hear sermons. Excuse me. We sing behind us together at the end. Hopefully because if you can see God in me and I can see God in you, then in spite of the weakness that's inherent in that, in spite of how much I'm going to fail and mess up, when we come together, the church can be what it's really supposed to be about. So this morning, my question and my challenge is, what is it going to take for you to quit comparing your faith, quit comparing your spiritual life to someone else, to quit focusing on the difficulties, to quit saying, well, I'd be like this, but God, and just be right where you're at with God. Just be honest with him. It's a place to do that. And these are the people to do that 
with. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful that when we are weak, as we sing a little song, you are strong. And God, most of the time, our faith is probably not what it needs to be. Mine's not. But I thank you that it, that it just, takes, just takes us starting where we're at. We don't have to be certain of everything. We can pray the prayer of the Father that, Lord, we believe. God, help us with what we struggle with. Help us with our unbelief. Lord, let that be our cry. Let that be, let that be what we really believe. And God, would you respond to us as we, as, we pray, as we pray in the faith that we have. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.